Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the sixth season of the Plebs on Footy podcast. I'm your host, Rory O'Kane, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Fotheringham. Hello, Banjo. Uh, long time no speak, I suppose. We haven't spoken in a very long time. It's been, what, 48 hours or so? Which is a, no, a record for us. <laughs> that's face-to-face. That's not uh, all communication cut off. Uh, unfortunately, we spoke to each other earlier today, but... You know, yes, by message, rest. yes, but, uh, yeah. I've I've missed your face over the last forty eight hours. Uh, oh, we haven't been spending sweet. nearly enough time oh, together. I'd uh, be careful what you wish for, Scott. Good thing is I'm going away for this weekend, so there's no uh, commentary, so we won't won't oh. be sick of each other by this time next week. Hopefully, hopefully. Fantastic news! I'm going to have such a relaxed weekend. It's going to going to be excellent. But like, I, uh, I'm still point out loyal fans, obviously, but. Uh, Sometimes we've got to go away to the Gold Coast. Look, I'm still a little bit ticked off with you, Banjo, because I'm still upset that you didn't put my theme music into the podcast a couple of weeks ago, my Do You Believe segment thing. And I, yep. I'm upset that the segment may be dead. Are we ever going to bring that segment back after the amazing effort I put into my, my music that never actually went into the podcast? No, look, so congratulations to you. You've guilt-tripped me perfectly. I feel so bad about this. And normally I don't feel bad about anything I do to you. I feel so bad about this that we're just doing this segment again this week. Uh, do, is it necessary? No. But I want to make you happy. I want people to listen to the hard work you put in. So we're going with Do You Believe Again this week. Do, do You Believe Again? So it's only two weeks. Like the whole point of the first one was that it was like early in the season. Who do we believe in? You want to double up on it two weeks later. It's now, well, it's been three weeks. So park your bus right there. But it is okay. the quarter mark point of the season, approximately. You know, we're yeah, just over twenty percent through. It's a good time to check what's going on. So Stuff's this is happening. what you're bringing. This is what you're bringing to the table. This is your segment for this week. You're, we're doing another. Do you believe, mate? This this week is pretty much all rerun segment wise. There's <laughs> not much fresh here. Uh, no, listeners beware. No. We're just going with the classics. Nothing wrong with the we've classics. Got, no, I'm bringing a new segment to the table this week, Banjo. It's next on our running list. We are doing a new segment, but yes, this one is a repeat. But have we thrown to the song yet? Do you want to do that? Throw to the, the, the great masterpiece that I put together? No, let's do that right now. It's time for Do You Believe? Do you believe in Sydney's premiership credentials? I can feel something inside me say That Crips will win the brown one. So, Scott, do you believe that St Kilda are good mediocre? <laughs> good me- uh, yeah. So, so this stems from our discussion earlier in the year in which you were of the view that you know for a fact St Kilda are going to be mediocre. You just mm. don't know whether they're on the good side of mediocre. They're currently third on the ladder. <laughs> they currently appear to be on the good side of mediocre, Banjo. Yeah, Banjo. <sighs> Look, I, I, I probably all in all probably believe that they are mediocre, mediocre. Um, they have had quite a good start to the year. I think they have been better than expected. Um, they've been a bit more consistent than they have been in, in previous years. Um, and the mm. last few weeks, they've probably the most impressive thing about them is they actually have been challenged from time to time. They've been a team for quite a long period of time in which they will when the game is on their terms, they will look very good and they will be quite a yep. good, strong team. And you'll start thinking that they're quite impressive. But then once the game goes against them, immediately you start thinking, oh, gee, 
they're not very good. But what has been actually quite impressive this year is that they have had they had that game against uh, Richmond in which they were down a three quarter time. They came back and responded. Um, they've had a bit of sort of they had a bit of a grind win over Fremantle away from home, which is always a very mm. difficult win to and get. And they've been able to how Fremantle have performed. Yeah, well, exactly. that looks like a really impressive win now we look back mm. on it with hindsight. So the thing which has been most impressive about them, for a team who have, I probably think, been a bit flat-track bullish in previous years, they've had a lot of different games which have been, yeah, they've been quite different in the way that they've played out and they've managed to respond on each occasion. So for that reason, they do look better than we probably anticipated at the start of the year. Do I believe they are a top four team, which is where they're sitting at the moment? Probably not. I haven't seen enough of a sample size to be confident that they are going to continue on this trajectory. Um, But pretty impressive start to them for the year, I would say. Yeah, I thought after they lost to Collingwood, it was going to be an absolute dumpster fire year for them and they might even finish bottom four. But uh, it looks like with the Jack Hayes recruitment, they're a little less reliant on Paddy Ryder, which is a great thing for them. And, yeah, they've just been solid. Uh, Their midfield has sort of outperformed my expectations. It hasn't even been all that reliant on Jack Steele compared to the last couple of years. So they've been able to sort of diversify what's going through. He hasn't been absolutely dominating, yeah. And so it's Gresham's problem. Yep. Yeah, both of them are yeah, so Sinclair was was good last year. It's kind of felt like a bit mm. of a breakout year for him. Obviously, I'll cross half back a little bit more. He spent a bit more time in the midfield this year. But you'd have to say the biggest point of difference and the thing that has changed this year is probably Gresham in many ways. He's yeah. been better than I anticipated. Always been a, a very good X-factor sort I of love player. That, when he's when he's run through the midfield, he's looked quite exciting from time to time. But he's spent probably more time in the midfield and therefore has been able to be more of a consistent performer um, than I expected this year. And that's made a massive difference to them. Yeah, and he's coming off an Achilles injury, which is just incredible. And he's still hitting the yeah. scoreboard. He's doing pretty much everything you'd want from sort of that uh, half-forward midfielder combination. And, yeah, he's completely changed their outlook. But there has been one more pivotal improvement that's changed their outlook. And I think it's your turn to ask me a question. Yes. Well, the other thing which we talked about at the start of the year as a bit of a forecast was I think what you said, I'm pretty sure your wording was, if St Kilda are to become more than mediocre, I think Max King would have to become just about the best player in the competition. That was the way in which you could scope out that improvement coming from St Kilda. Mm. So my question to you, I'm not going to go quite that far, but my question to you is, do you believe that Max King is now the best key forward in the competition? Oh, kind of. I got a family <laughs> got a toe in that water, dip, dipping a toe in that water. You're oh, he's boring. Really, he's incredibly good. You, yeah, you look, can't find yes. it for this thing. Yes, I'll say yes. He's just yep, fantastic. Say, yeah, he's yeah. in the air. His ability to draw scoring shots, uh, generate scoring shots is nearly unparalleled. His accuracy has been good enough. He's kicked, I think, 16-10 on the year so far. So uh, that's well into the positives. Yeah, I, he's incredible. He's great on around the ground too. He He's just such a strong target for them. And when you have Marshall as well, that pairing is just elite up forward. And the ability to move the ball through the air is not many teams can match it. I think Carlton have a similar vibe going with McKay and Kerno, but God, St Kilda looks so good and up forward, and a lot of that is because Max King, a couple of times when they've needed it, has just ripped a game open 
he almost single-handedly won them or was the turning point of that Frio game. He just decided to win the game for them in that third or fourth quarter. I can't remember which one. And oh, he's just, when he takes a mark, it doesn't look like anyone else has a chance of taking that mark or even spoiling it. He just looks so dominant when he does what he's doing. He's, he's improving as well, isn't he? And that that's probably the scariest thing about it is immediately, obviously, we saw the talent, we saw the heart, we saw the reach, we saw his yeah. ability to have sticky hands, speed for someone his size, all of, all of those mm. weapons are there. But very quickly, he's immediately improving kicking for goal. He is immediately yeah. improving his forward craft. He's getting involved more often. Um and that's what's scary about it is his trajectory is already quite rapid. And if that continues over the next few years, whether he's at that point now or not, and saying he's the best key forward in the comp, it seems like he's on track to get there in the not-too-distant yeah. future, I would be happy to say. I mean, who else is in the equation? We've probably got the Tomahawk. He'd be around the mark. Yeah, uh, he's Joe probably Yeah, he's been fantastic this year. They're the three Coleman medal leaders. I think Buddy when playing, still has as good a shout as any. And then Mackay won the Coleman last year, and he's great, so I'd throw him up there. I feel like the key forward yeah. stocks are yeah. almost having a bit of renaissance because there's a good, solid young group of players really pushing up and improving, and Max King is leading the way with that, but there's also Ben King, who unfortunately is missing the year, and yes, yeah, a truckload more. It's also a good thing that you realise that Aaron Norton will be a terrible key forward, so they put him back, as, as you suggested, <laughs> immediately. Uh, he's quite good as well, Banjo. You've got to That's give him true. a bit of credit. I do. There but are some he good ones around. He, true. The one thing holding Norton back is very obviously the goal kicking. If he fixes that up, yeah, he's like a 20% better key forward immediately. Yeah. So yeah. I think I do put him a touch below just because – of the goal yeah. kicking, yeah. but yeah. everything else you want, like the aerial, he's more aerially dominant than King, unbelievably. Mm-hmm. I just King is him to be King, King is definitely King is leading the charge of those those young key forwards, and wh- yeah. whether he's quite escalated to that point of saying he's the best key forward in the comp, he's not that far off it, um, and it no. does seem like he's he's well on the way. So that that's a little bit scary. Uh, what do you have for me? What, what's my next? Do you believe Banjo? Well, we've brought them up a couple of times to pad St Kilda's resume, but uh, my question to you is, do you believe Fremantle are a premiership contender? <laughs> of course I believe Fremantle are a premiership contender, Banjo. You know how much I love my Frio boys. So does um, that mean no, your I've list been... is two? Melbourne does that and mean Frio? What? Your list is uh, two, Melbourne and yes. Frio. Yeah, well, look. Look, it still goes Melbourne, Daylight, Fremantle, I suppose. But if there's anyone who can contend for the premiership against Melbourne, it would have to be Fremantle. You'd have to say, <laughs> wouldn't you? Are they... Wait, are they second now? Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. God, that's weird. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they have been... Their trajectory as a football club has been really good over the last few years, ever since... Uh, What's his name? Long Muir um, <laughs> has taken over. Uh, immediately, defensively, they seemed really sound. They seemed mm. really structured. And they seemed like a team who were all on the same page. Yes, they've got some talent in their midfield. I don't think that that's the thing which is improving them. And I think that's well, the interesting thing. Obviously, they've been missing so much midfield talent throughout the year. We haven't even seen their yeah. full midfield yet because 1-5 hasn't played a game yet. Yeah. Brayshaw's obviously been incredible, but yeah. um, 
Yep, Sarong hasn't sort of gone to the level we ex- we expected this year, mm-hmm. at, at least to this point. Chera's obviously not there anymore. Um, yet we haven't seen Fife. Um, it hasn't been that absolute explosion of that younger mm. talent, which we probably expected would be the thing that would lift them up. It actually yeah. has seemed to have come from a team who are all on the same page, who are playing the right way. Everyone's playing their role. Those small forwards who aren't superstars, they're playing their roles with Kowski and Schultz and that, and that sort of stuff. Um, and they, yep, Frederick as well. He's been really important. Oh, they all seem go. to be playing their role. They understand their role and they seem yeah. to be really well coached. So they have the foundations there of a very good team. And if the talent continues to rise in the way that we kind of expect to, um, yeah, they're a really good team. And, and the question with them is going to be, how much do they improve throughout the year as well? I don't think at this point in time they're at a level in which they'll be competing with the Ds. But <laughs> I can see gradual improvement from them throughout the course of the season. And by yeah. the end of it, they may be a pretty bloody good team. Yeah, one thing they've got definitely going in their favour is a lot of the areas we expected them to improve haven't actually hit yet. So there's still quite yeah. a fair yeah. bit of scope there. I get The obvious one is just, get Fife on the park, they improve. But as we said, a lot of those young kids that we were expecting to play quite good footy haven't really fully come on yet. I mean, they're getting pretty good service out of Brody, which has eased the chera. Uh, yeah, that's made a difference. Little bit. But they've still, as you said, Sarong still to come through. And they've got a, quite a few half backs that are sort of, sort of scratching the surface of their potential. Uh, the greatest spoiler of all time, Heath Chapman, seems to be improving week on week. And no, yeah, the, smart, the smartest player in the game, the cleverest player. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That's what uh, it was, it was how clever his play was, yes. <laughs> but yeah, they still got so many kids that could sort of elevate them even further. I think a lot of teams that we've seen sort of jump up quickly in the last couple of years have sort of been maxing out on their leap and sort of been a one-year hit, sugar hit, that they look great, but they don't really have that scope to take the next step. With Frio, because they've still got these sort of areas that haven't quite hit for them, I could actually see them turning into a proper contender, which sides like Essendon I've struggled to see in the past. Yeah. Well, that's that's very exciting, isn't it? We well, we like the Dockers, and there's someone, there's someone new. They've obviously never won a premiership before. So if they are on that sort of trajectory, that's a really good thing for the competition. I've so got a more exciting... Lose the grand final to them? Is that what you're saying? No. Well, if, if they play against us in the grand final, I'll be quite enjoy, I'll enjoy that result. That'll be quite an exciting grand final. We obviously know who will win it, but um, I will be quite happy to see them thereabouts. Now, I have a much more, well, not, I'm obviously happy about the Fremantle discussions, but we've got a really good question I want to ask you now, Banjo. Do you believe that Richmond are cooked? That's the exciting question I'm putting to you. Well and truly. I think this one is easy. They are absolutely done. We are looking at Hawthorne post-2015 when they still had these sort of hiccups of uh, their premiership contention era where you could sort of see what made them good, but they don't have it against the top-line teams. They don't even have it against the sort of mediocre teams. Losing to Adelaide is a shocking loss for a team that's supposedly... Well, I think we both had them in our top four to start the year. I think we can put to rest rest any chance of them winning a premiership, and I'm just super happy about that. Okay, so there's obviously a few layers... 
there's a few layers to the definition of cooked. I think mm. we're both of the view that they are no longer challenging for a premiership. Um, no, I feel like I'm that's clear think, enough now. I think Richmond um, supporters are the same. Yeah, probably. So are they now, will they make finals? Will they push top four? Uh, well, where do you think they're going from here? Is this a, is this a big drop off or is this, are they going to continue to sort of hang around the mark because of the talent and the belief which they've had? I think finals is touch and go. I think things would have to go right for them to make finals. And if they don't, they'll miss. Well, they, they missed finals last year, so it's not like we can we haven't seen that happen yeah. recently. Uh, Dusty is obviously a huge one. If he plays much of the season, they're a significantly better side. If he it'll help, yeah, best form. But I kind of I'm worried. I think we might have seen the best of Dusty too, unfortunately, uh, just with mm. the injury and personal issues he's had going on. If we get a bounce back, mm. it'd be great. But uh, and honestly, their depth around them, the midfield's way too shallow. It's un. They've got an ungodly reliance on Prestia, which when he has hamstrings made of paper mache is not a great yeah. thing. Yeah. And yeah, the, what's surrounding them isn't good enough anymore. They used to win by having everything perfect and then a passable midfield. And now that not everything's perfect, just having a passable midfield, let alone a below average one, which is what they've got, that's just not good enough. What they could end up doing for a couple of years, they could do what... The, Haw- the great Hawthorne team did for a couple of years in mm. which I think in hindsight, we and we probably thought it at the time actually because we're very intelligent. Oh, we very but, loudly thought it at the time. <laughs> uh, so uh, like there was a couple of years there where they did not look like they were really a premiership contender, but they still managed mm. to finish top four and yeah. sort of play lots of finals and play some significant Go finals. But then, yeah, that, that sort of stuff. I can imagine that happening from Richmond that they managed to hang around there because they just... They have that belief and that ability to win when it matters. Mm. They they seem like they're below that at this point, but I wouldn't rule out yeah. that they do improve and they do manage to find ways to win games and start pushing for a top four position. But that's probably the ceiling at the moment. Yeah. So in that sense, and from the the perspective that we have and the expectations we have of Richmond, you'd have to say, yes, they are cooked. Yeah. We can all agree the massive sigh of relief is the point, is <laughs> the takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, the alternative is you winning a flag. <laughs> is, is somehow an even worse result. Oh. Good stuff. We go back All to right. the West Coast. <laughs> are we uh, moving on to my new segment now, Banjo? We are, we are, we are. Can I ask you, have you teed up yet? Uh, do we have some, not theme music, but a theme sound for this segment, which I need to throw to? I don't know whether you were lazy enough to get off your ass and put it together. Uh, I haven't put it together yet. Uh, but you're but going I will. to? By the time okay. the uh, podcast comes out, there will be a sound effect. So okay. There like better I've be. Because done... you let me down last time. Do not let me down again. We have another segment with a good little theme start to it. So I'm going to throw to it, and I don't want silence when I listen back to this, okay? So, Banjo, yeah. it's now time for our new segment. You know what really grinds my gears? I'm so <laughs> Obviously, after the great man Peter Griffin, who I uh, originally thought uh, Homer Simpson was the one who actually talked about what's grinding my gears on a, on a TV show, but it turned out that it was uh, Peter Griffin running the news. So, look, we 
wanted to have a chance to unload a little bit. We've done that a little bit in the past. We had various segments about rants and that sort of stuff. Yeah, but we want to have a Jesse Hogan at one point. I did in the. I think that might have been about our second podcast. My open letter to Jesse Hogan, uh, but we wanted to have an opportunity to talk about. We we're both a bit angry about some things, so we wanted to be able yeah. to unload our emotion with regards to a couple mm-hmm. of areas. So. I have on my running sheet, I'm going to allow it to hand over to you first, Banjo, to explain what's been grinding your gears in the world of football. You know what's been grinding my gears, Scott? What has been grinding your gears, Banjo? Pretty much every year, holding the ball grinds my gears, grinds everybody's gears, everyone's sick of it. It's probably not a good rule when you (laughs) reflect on it in that way. But what's really been annoying me is that players have been not disposing of the ball properly and throwing their arms up and getting holding the man free kicks when they should have been penalised for holding the ball in the first mm. place. They've got it and they just throw it away and somehow they get the free kick. I think that's ridiculous. It happened four or five times every game at the moment and I'm sick of it. Reward the player who's actually done what they're supposed to be doing, not the player that's fumbled the ball away. Okay, so obviously... Holding the ball has ground our gears for many, many years, as it has with everyone. And it's a very obvious Absolutely. one for you to go to. So I was a bit upset when I saw on the running sheet you're talking about holding the ball. But you have a specific new concern, do you? Or newish concern with regards <laughs> to players who drop the ball or get stripped of the ball and then they get dragged to ground when the tackler is not aware that they had lost possession of it. Is that what you're going Exactly. With? That's a big part of it. How are you supposed to know that the guy's thrown away the ball? And I want to make the point, they are throwing away the ball. They're just letting it go. They are not trying to hold on to the ball because they know they can get a free kick out of it. Now, that's where it becomes interesting because I think if you were to ask the umpires about this specific thing, they would say that if they had dropped the ball, then it would be a holding the ball decision. However, if the ball spills out as part of the tackle, it gets dislodged during the tackle and comes out then unless there was prior opportunity, that is not holding the ball. And therefore, uh, if you then proceed to dump them to the ground when they've lost the ball, then that should be a free kick against. I think that is how the umpires would explain it. You're not happy with that explanation? I think it's a stupid explanation. How Mm. is the player supposed to know the ball is spilt out? You should just not pay a free kick if if you don't want to pay it holding the ball. That's fine. It just should not be a free kick. So would you be... There's people dumping into the ground, dangerous tackles or anything like okay, that. Okay, okay. A guy like Cody Waitman on the weekend got the ball, threw it away, and then just threw his arms up immediately. And he was just still standing and had someone slightly hanging off his hips a split second after he got rid of got rid of the football in quotation marks. It's just so, so ridiculous blight on the game. So what, so what exactly are you trying to get rid of? So. Would you have an issue? Would you mind in the game of football a situation where someone goes for a tackle, the ball dislodges as part of the tackle, and then the tackler ends up sort of throwing them to the ground when they don't have the ball? Not in a dangerous way, not a sling tackle motion of pinning the arms, but they do a normal tackle of tackling them to the ground after the ball has spilled out. You yeah, believe that that should be holding the ball or play on? What, what do you think? I don't care. It just shouldn't be holding the man. <laughs> okay. I'm fine with either outcome. Powers greater than me can decide. Just don't make it a free kick against the guy that's actually done what he was trying to do and not uh, reward the guy who's fucked up. Just 
What I will say briefly about the holding the ball rule in general is that I hear a lot of criticism about a lot of rules in the game of AFL football. And yes, there are some issues here and there and teething problems and misunderstanding of interpretations and all of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. However, holding the ball is the only rule which is in and of itself broken. All the other rules, they have a purpose. They have some sort of a black and white interpretation. There may be issues on the borderline. There are always going to be. But holding the ball doesn't make any sense in and of itself. The best way to explain why holding the ball is a problem is try to explain it to someone who has never watched the game of AFL football before, what holding the ball is. It is impossible. Mm -hmm. There are about 60 million different complexities to it. I don't really know what the purpose of holding the ball is when it comes down to it. Something about prior opportunities, something about genuine disposal and genuine attempt to get it out. I have an idea because I've watched enough football as to what will and will not be holding the ball. But that's a feel thing much more than it is a logical thing. It's a very, very strange rule. It is so much more complicated than LBW, like which is the one we famously yeah. talked yeah. about. Yeah. LBW has like six different permutations and they're all like ironclad. That's fine. Yes. You can yes. run a computer simulation that will pre- tell you whether or not it was LBW. That tells you there's logic to it. You could not yeah. do that for holding the ball. You absolutely could never do that for holding the ball. You're right. It is so purely subjective on so many different layers. It's you could, you just, you'd be a coin flipping program is what you it, do. It, 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 it's a crazy rule. It always has been, to be honest. And this is one small aspect of it, which is grinding your gears. And, and that's fine. I have bigger problems, Banjo. <laughs> I have something which is grinding my gears a lot more than holding the ball because oh, no. I, I, I'm, I've moved on from holding the ball issues. The thing which is really, really driving me up the wall, and my head was exploding on, I think it was Sunday, watching the game between Essendon and Fremantle. Essendon supporters are grinding my gears, Banjo. The last (laughs) five or six Essendon games I've watched, some of them Melbourne have been involved in, some of them I've been at the game, some of them I've been watching it on the TV. But regardless, the entire two and a half hours is drowned out by the sound of booing umpires. It is pathetic. And when I first, the first time it got mentioned to me that Essendon supporters seem to boo more than other supporters was my brother telling me that, and he hates Essendon. I was like, look, I think that every supporter does that. I don't think it's that noticeable that it's Essendon more than any other supporters. Since then, I've seen enough Essendon games, and I'm confident that it is actually a thing with Essendon supporters, that they just love booing the umpires. And Probably the thing that's annoying me the most about it is I listened to, I reckon, two hours of SEN yesterday, an hour or two of SEN today, and they are talking all about umpire dissent, issues of players dissenting and how we're trying to get umpires to umpire more and to enjoy umpiring because they're not having dissent issues from players. Not once have I heard the fact that there was significant abuse coming out of the crowd for two and a half hours throughout that game on think it was Sunday, um, towards the umpires. If, if I were getting into umpiring, I could not give a toss about a player turning around and throwing his hands out and being annoyed because, of course, they're going to be. They're emotional. Yeah. They're in the heat of the situation. They don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna laugh at a player for doing that. What yeah, I would like is... There's a between that and abuse. Yes, but yeah. the, the thing which I'm not going to like is... Tens of thousands of fans booing me. And, and, and those times mm. are sometimes umpires are walking off the ground and there's booing yeah. from the crowd going on. That's disgusting. That's the problem so much more than the players' dissent issue. Um, so I just, 
that's hard for the AFL to control. I understand that it's, yeah. it's much easier to control players than it is the crowd. But if you are going to try to make this shift, we have to have more of a discourse around crowd reactions and the way the crowd handles uh, umpires as well. Because I, wa- I want to have kids when they're driving home from a game after they've been with their parents who have been booing the umpires all day, listening to the radio and the radio commentators talking about how disgraceful the booing of the umpires were. So then yeah. they will grow up learning that it's not, that's not appropriate. That's not a good thing. Um, and it's, it's just, it's happening too much at the moment. And that is the biggest issue when it comes to umpires. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm, Probably part of that problem. So probably should uh, do you, boo, do you actually boo? Like, do you actually stand up and say the word boo? If I've had alcohol before the game, yes. <laughs> I just find that so like childish. Like, I found that funny when I was about twelve. Now I'm like, now I'm like I, obviously, from time to time, I have got annoyed and have yelled stuff out. I should, I need to own up to mm. that, and I probably shouldn't do it as much as I have, but. It's been a very long time since I've actually said the word boo at a game of football. And I feel really uncomfortable doing that. I find that a weird thing to do. Yeah, it's more of like a Bronx boo than anything else. But yeah, I, I, I did it on Good Friday. So <laughs> that's uh, me owning up to that. Yeah, well, that might have been your team's fault a lot more than it was the umpires. Well, just like it was a case with Essendon. Their players were much more the problem than the bloody umpires. They got destroyed. Like, yeah. just... Do what Melbourne supporters do and sit there looking depressed and cry, all right? Don't bloody boo the umpires. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think that's enough to, uh, of what grinds our gears. Let's move on to the next segment for the glorious return of Top 5, which we don't have any sound. <laughs> so this, what we discussed, so this actually is a Top 5, is it, that we're doing? It is a Top 5. It is okay. a Top 5. Going back to the greatest segment in Plebs on Footy Podcast history, mm. we're doing the top five recruits. And let's be honest, it's because we couldn't think of anything else to do. And we have, we used to have a bit of an argument over, I would pick my top five, you'd pick your top five, and we'd have a bit of dispute. We've been so lazy this time, we actually have a shared top five. And I don't even remember what it was. We discussed it at the time. <laughs> you have the list in front of you. So who are the top five best recruits of the year? So top five, number five is Tyson Stengel. He's been an absolute jet mm. for Geelong since he mm. came over. Very uh, crafty small forward, adds a lot of spark to a forward line that absolutely needs it. And with Hawkins and Cameron, Stengel at your feet looks very dangerous. And I think he's been great for Geelong. Yep, good one, Banjo. And I, I think we probably should make clear that this is recruits that people have got from from other clubs. It's not draftees. Yes. Yeah recruiting yeah. sort of externally absolutely um, otherwise Jason yeah. Francis would obviously be number one this is uh this is perfect for uh for that sort of thing because the idea is Geelong were absolutely crying out for mm. a small forward with a bit more spunk about him than some other ones that yeah. they have with a bit of speed a bit more sort of talent and excitement and he's brought that forward pressure as well as the fact he's actually been able to get on the scoreboard from time to time so he has been a, a perfect sort of recruit, which they needed, exceeded expectations, definitely deserves to be in this top five. Yeah, and part of this, we were also weighing in a little bit how much they cost. So Stengel was absolutely free, which is a bit of a theme uh, for some of these, but uh, he's yep. been a, just a perfect recruit. Number four, we've got Adam Chera, who costs a lot more, but has been bloody mm. good for Carlton. 
Are you comfortable putting him ahead of, uh, and I know we did discuss this, so I'm playing devil's advocate, but are you comfortable putting him ahead of uh, Tyson Stingle, considering, as you say, Stingle was for free, he's made a massive difference, Chera cost a fair bit. He's been good so far. He hasn't shot the lights out. You're comfortable with that at four? Yeah, especially when you factor in what they're going to bring long-term. Chera is a very young midfielder who's going to be very good for a very long time. So I think you got to weigh that in. And he's been pretty much exactly what Carlton expected and wanted. He's been an above-average midfielder from the get-go, and they've got he's got scope to turn into a A-grader, a really. So for Carlton, he's just been perfect. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. He has superstar ability in future. Yeah. He's, he's not there yet, but he, we, I can definitely see him getting to that point in, in, in the not-too-distant future, to be honest. He's, he's shown a lot. of he, He's a classy player. He's shown a lot of that. Mm. He's obviously, he's had a bit of COVID issues uh, thus far yeah. this year. Um, so he's kind of, I think he's been working his way back into sort of full-time midfield sort of stuff. Um, but he's played a couple of really terrific games. So, uh, yeah, they've done pretty well out of Chera, unsurprisingly. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous that Carlton were the only serious bidder for him, really. I mean, Melbourne had a crack, but you just didn't have anything to give up for him. You're never going to be able to get him, yeah. No. <laughs> so number three, I've gone for Will Brody, who got shipped ah, off with beauty. 19 as well. So our boy, he's been fantastic. Oh. He's nearly their best midfielder a couple of weeks ago. A little quieter this weekend, but he's averaging about 27 touches a game. So what more could you want for a guy you got for... He's less than free. They got ex- They got bonus value with him. So just a yeah. fantastic recruit. Yeah, pre- pretty decent value. And we were talking about Frio before, obviously, and talking about how perhaps not all of their midfielders have escalated their level in the extent that we thought. But then you bring in a player mm. who's, you know, a starting midfielder and an important midfielder who has been very consistent for them, have been providing a, a particular style to the way that he plays. He's very in and under. He's very hard at it. He's good with his hands. Um, yeah, yeah he, he's been awesome, fantastic. Brody. And, and I think his kicking has probably been a bit better than they expected as well. Yeah, it's been adequate. So yeah. uh, we do need to make clear that we still intend to have Will Brody watch. We've we just do. been too we lazy do. to make any theme music because we need to do it together and we're doing this stuff remotely. But we will yeah. have Will Brody watch because we love the man. Yeah, let, we do also need to make clear uh, we attempted to record this on Monday after the Easter game after a commentary. <laughs> But uh, the computer I brought over absolutely carked it. And you don't have a good enough computer either. So we had absolutely no hope. Yeah. So you stuffed us again. That was clearly your fault. Uh, as you also you stuffed us. I brought the equipment <laughs> and just neither of us had a computer that would work, you, which is uh, know, a little pathetic. You know my computer sucks. You know the obligation is on you. So what are we up to? Number two. Who's number two, Banjo? Jordan Dawson. A lot of this is because okay. he... Goal after starting to win a showdown, which for Adelaide supporters is a big, big tick. He's also looked very good. He's a, just an elite kick. He's a good overhead mark, and he fits in pretty seamlessly. For a team that needed a little bit of X factor and skill, he's provided a little bit of that. Probably not as much as their draftee, Rochelle, but uh, a good hit of it too. He's a, he's a very rounded sort of player, isn't he? So, I mean, look, his obvious big asset is his kicking, and that's always yeah, been the case. That he's, an, he's an incredible kick of the footy. Um, he's also pretty tall, and he's very good in the air, and he creates a really good contest. So uh, mm. I think he, he started off with a bit of time on the wing. He's now more into the back line. And as a result, he's been able to give a really good 
defensive account of himself in the back line with his size and everything. Plus takes a lot of kickouts. Plus has been able to get on the scoreboard because of his long raking yeah. boot. And he also kicked a winning goal after the siren. Um, so you'd feel like uh, the supporters would be falling in love with him uh, pretty quickly, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. When you win a showdown with a kick after the siren, you're going to be loved. (laughs) He's kind of like Bailey Dale if Bailey Dale added anything defensively. Yeah, Yeah, okay. But he's also got some intercept marking capabilities, which is just an added bonus. Hmm. One of your obscure comparisons, but not not too obscure. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, that one feels pretty cut and dry. I don't think that falls into my obscure comparisons there. Category, okay. but number one with a bullet. Yep. He came for free as a free agent. It's George Hewitt. He was a tagger at Sydney or a small defender. He's just turned into an inside midfielder and he's absolutely dominated. He'd be averaging nearly 30 touches a game, wouldn't he? Pretty close to, yeah. He, he When we talk about the sort of things we take into account for what a best recruit is, he ticks every box. He was cheap. He plays a perfect role for what Carlton needed, which is a more accountable, defensive-minded midfielder. And then he does, with the way he's playing, he almost is at close to superstar level anyway. He's not too far off that. So he's ticking all of those boxes, and he's just he's just been the dream recruit, and it's been such a massive reason for why Carlton have been better. Um, given the more depth, given the more defensive accountability, um, he's part of that sort of those balls, those inside midfielders and the way that they have been playing. He's been a massive part of that. So um, I, I'm pretty – I think he's comfortably been the best recruiter this year today. Yeah. When you talk about Carlton, for so long we thought they had great top-line midfielders but no depth. Now they've got not only Hewitt and Chera added in, but Matt Kennedy stepped up a lot. So they've now got five guys you're very confident yeah. throwing through the yeah. midfield, and that's a great core to have. Yeah. Yeah, their midfield's looking terrific. And he's, yeah, he's been a major part of that. So uh, very comfortable with that as the number one, Banjo. I would like to say, I just checked, he's averaging exactly 30 touches a game. So uh, 30.0 or? (laughs) 30.0. Well done. Well, he's been pretty good for my fantasy team, I've got to say, Banjo. So I'm pretty happy with that. I think it's time to move on to your second segment. Yes, it's now my second one, Banjo, and I've got a little bit boring here and gone with a, a classic of uh, the, the Plebs on Footy uh, archives, and, uh, the, the Cane Corns Big Call of the Week, which is a, a favourite segment of ours in that we uh, try to pick out a silly call or a large call which has been made in the in the media and we sort of pick it apart and then we like to come to the table with our own big calls to have a bit of fun and to try to unleash our own cane corns upon our podcast. We needed to visit it this week, Banjo. It was very important because Kane Corns himself has been involved in some pretty heated stuff over the last week or so. You were not aware of it. I had to explain it to you, and as a result, I'm also going to explain it to our listeners what's been going on. Weirdly enough, he has got himself in a feud with the most boring, unopinionated football commentator going around, which is Cameron Ling. And Cameron Ling himself is going to make his first entrance into the Cane Corns Big Call of the Week because he has seemingly completely changed himself as a football commentator. Name one occasion since he has been a commentator in which you have been interested in an opinion that has been given by Cameron Ling. Has that ever happened before? 
I genuinely can't. And to be honest, he was probably tapped on the shoulder and said, become more interesting or you're getting the sack. So uh, good on him, to be honest. Over the past month or so, Banjo, there have been four, four big calls made by Cameron Link, which have been at that level, which gets picked up by other media sources and they start to go, oh, Cameron Link said this. He's completely changed his tune. The first thing that he's done is he's ripped into Kane himself about his... uh, Connor Rosie versus uh, Sam Walsh opinion, which is a pretty obvious one, but he went pretty hard on on Kane. Low he then right went there. he then went ahead and said that his views of that GWS are like junk food, is what he said. That they mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they're all sugar and they have no nutritional value, which I think is a pretty ridiculous sort of comment to make, and that he. Uh, He's clearly thought about that a lot. He thought that was pretty sharp and pretty funny. Um, I find that quite amusing in and of itself, to be honest. I think you quite like it, don't you? I like it as a quip. I think your point that it's kind of the opposite of what they actually are is probably pretty fair. Maybe tactically they're uh, just junk food because there's nothing going on there. But, yeah, (laughs) they're too blue-collar and they've chosen to be blue-collar pretty much to – it almost seems to spite this reaction and this opinion of them because it's been ever since the Orange Tsunami era, people have mm. called them pretty much this and they've just decided, yeah. no, we're not going to be that. We're going to be hardworking blue collar at the expense of being good. So, yeah. So they're <laughs> actually like the it. opposite of it. But look, I just think the, the whole junk food thing is just pretty ridiculous. But anyway, the next one he's done I enjoy a little bit more and that he went very hard on North Melbourne should be stripped of the uh, Good Friday game, which obviously is also low-hanging fruit. But he went very hard on it, and as a, as a result, I quite enjoyed it. There is actually a fourth one. Sorry, you want to respond to that? Yeah, we paid that man to be a leadership consultant at the club. What a waste <laughs> of money. Absolutely. That was always going to be a waste of money. The guy is... The guy's an idiot. But anyway, uh, he's got a new one as well, which came out today, which I sent to you, Banjo, in which he believes that – I don't even know how – he believes that Isaac Heaney is now challenging to be the undisputed best player in the competition, which I personally think is a bit of an oxymoron. You seem to think that it's a reasonable opinion to hold. No, I think you misread it. He's saying Dusty Martin was the undisputed player and now it's up for grabs and Heaney's one of the players that can be it. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. But he's still <laughs> he's talking about... No, but it's still just a weird thing to say that there's a bunch of players who are competing to be the undisputed best player in the competition. No, they're just disputing. There doesn't have to be an undisputed one, but I don't know. Well, whatever. Either way, it's a big call which has been made by Lingy. So... I just I find it fascinating that he's gone with all these big calls. And now Kane was not happy that he got criticised as well, so he's bit back at him on the Sunday Footy Show. He had quite a this funny segment talking part. about basically what I've been saying, and that Cameron Ling has had no opinions ever, and all of a sudden he does have an opinion. It's quite amusing. And then I listened to uh, Sen on Monday morning, and it was Josh Jenkins and the great man Kane himself. And Jenkins was very much of the view that he initially got Ling to agree to come on uh, on the SEN breakfast to discuss uh, the rivalry between Geelong and Hawthorne, thinking that Gary Lyon was the other host. And then when he found out it was Kane, he backtracked and said he didn't want to go anymore. So they've got themselves into a very surprising and unexpected sort of rift, those two. So 
I just thought we had to bring that to the table. Yeah, honestly, when Kane Corns is involved in the news, we've got to talk about it. And good on him <laughs> for bringing an opinion out of Lingy. That shows the quality of media operator yeah. he is. I don't think we yeah. would have ever thought about Lingy on this podcast without Kane. Yep, exactly right. He always brings us material, the great man Kane. Anyway, we're now going to do our own big calls, our own imitations of Kane. What have you got for us, Banjo? I'm pretty happy with mine. I reckon West Coast were better with the waffle players. (laughs) Okay, they performed better with the waffle players. They certainly (laughs) did. They lost by 10 goals without the waffle players and one with them, so... I don't. I think it's indisputable. I think the players they brought back are coasting on reputation more than result. They're all old and injured, and the waffle players were young and hungry and fierce, and they're just better. Sometimes so, Jared Healy's right. Sometimes it's about effort. So you're of the view that they should now select their round two team for the rest of the year, and that they would win more games doing that than selecting the team who played on the weekend. Is that is that your view? Are you going that far? No, I just think we should now appreciate North's win for what it was, which was a great win against the odds. <laughs> oh, against that's, the where, that's where this comes <laughs> from, does it? You're just trying to it's, just, it's, just a bonus. it's just a bonus little side piece to it all. <laughs> what I will say on West Coast, you may laugh at me here. I tipped mm-hmm. them <laughs> this week. I, them I just like... They won, they won the week before. I had a look at their team and I'm like, everyone still seems to think their entire team is out. They're not. They were all back. Their team looked great on paper. I thought they're at home. In the ordinary course of events, I would be tipping West Coast for this game. I think we've just been sucked into this prejudice about them because of how they started the year. However, I probably didn't take into account the fact that all of their players coming back were probably still injured and unfit and coming mm. back from COVID and all that sort of stuff. So that might have had an impact on it. So, yeah, that wasn't my best tip, I will yeah, you say. You both overthought and underthought that. You could, if you'd properly yeah. overthought it, you would have come yeah. to the right conclusion. But if yeah. you'd not thought about it at all, you would have come to the right yeah. conclusion. Instead, you found this really weird sweet spot where you could be <laughs> so, so wrong. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep in mind your opinion going forward that I will only tip them if they start selecting waffle players again because they're a better team. Exactly. Now. Exactly. Okay. God, my, embarrassing. <laughs> my uh, Kane Corn's big call of the week, Banjo, and I had an idea for what I wanted to say, um, and it's taken a bit of time for me to try to put it in words which actually makes some mm-hmm. sense. I'm probably still working on it a little bit, so be nice on me. But I am of the view that the gap between the quality of Nick Dacos to Horn Francis is the biggest gap between two draftees since the selection of Sam Walsh over Connor Rosie. That clearly uh, Dacos is that much better than Horn Francis, that it's the equivalent of how much better Rosie is than uh, Sam Walsh. Like, am I supposed to pretend you're even half being serious here? Like, this is just garbage opinion. Like, Jason on Francis is better now, let alone what he's going to be in the future. The scope is higher. He's just yeah, ridiculous. You think he's a better player than Nick Dacos now? Nick Dacos is just farting along in the background, getting five uh, contests a game. Jason on Francis is actually playing like a proper footballer and tr- having to win a contest. 
I'm not giving you that, Banjo. Now, obviously, I just tried to bring in there a bit of Kane action for a bit of a laugh. However, I have been more impressed from what I've seen from Nick Dacos and Jason Horn Francis to date. Now, I'm not going to go... I'm not going to go down Kane territory and say that clearly is a better player and will be. Well, yes, I have for the purposes of the segment. But <laughs> if we're being serious, I think Dacos looks bloody amazing. Like, he is so classy, so smart with ball in hand. He knows how to find the free. I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, that's not to say I don't think Fallon Francis will be good. I do. But I do think at this point in time, Dacos looks like a better player. I think he's got a he's a very sure thing. He will be good, but he'll only ever be like Zach Merritt. I don't think he's got the scope to be the best player in the competition or anything like that. He's going to be a guy who flitters around, maybe gets an All-Australian or two. Probably will because he plays for Collingwood. Whereas Jason Horn France is going to be the best player in the competition. So, don't know what Funnily to tell you. Funnily enough, the way that you just criticised Dacos then is actually quite similar to the way that Kane criticised Sam Walsh in his first year and that he was of the view that he's a good player, he's a safe player, but he's not going to be a game changer. He's going to be someone who's on the outside. But that's been proven to be wrong. I am very confident you're going to be proven wrong about Dacos. He's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm super confident. Congratulations. But uh, he doesn't have the penetration. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the contested work. He's just not going to be as good as Jason Horn Francis. You can book it in. I don't know how serious you're being and how much you're just trying to stick to this opinion. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind putting some sort of a bet on this at some point. But it's going to be obviously difficult to assess who has been better than the other one, what sort of uh, criteria we use. But I wouldn't mind putting some sort of a bet on it. This is going to be like Josh Kelly and Stephen Cornelio all over again, where I'm just yeah. right and you just uh, have to begrudgingly admit it. Ah, Cogs has been all right this year, mate. Don't criticise Cogs. <laughs> That's the end of our podcast, Banjo, is it? That is the end of our podcast. We hit our uh, tight half hour that I was going for. We're at 49 minutes. So, uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be back next week. We won't be commentating this week, thankfully, for mm. everyone's sake. And, uh, yeah. This time, sort of probably Tuesday night, we'll be uh, have another pot out. Chat to you in approximately one week's time, Banjo. Approximately. Go the.